Last week, we started our series, our short series on Jacob. Again, a reminder, this is a larger series that Pastor Jeff initiated several months ago. We started with an examination of the life of Abraham, and then we turned to the life of David. David has really spoken to us through the Psalms. And what we were really trying to ask were two questions that Jeff posed for us, and which kind of form the thread that runs through all of these messages on Abraham, David, and, and now Jacob. The first question, first and foremost, is what is the desire of God's heart? We're reminded in the book of Acts where David himself was called a man after God's own heart. And so we're asking ourselves, what is the heart of God, and how can we align our hearts as followers of Jesus Christ, as sons and daughters of the Father, how can we align our hearts with his heart? So that was the first question. And that question led us to the next one, and that is, what about the rest? This was, a, I think, a burden, maybe on, on Jeff's heart, on all of our hearts, on the leadership team. Of We do a wonderful thing here at Clear River, as you just demonstrated, you know, our wonderful fellowship and our love for one another. And we really started having a real burden on the rest. This came from the Ephesians 2 scripture, that we were once dead in our trespasses, Paul says. We were under the wrath of God like the rest of mankind. And so Jeff posed to us a very, very, I think, uh, convicting question. Well, what about the rest? What about the rest? And so these are the questions we're trying to continue to examine. And last week, we turned to the scripture earlier in Jacob's life, uh, where Jacob had a dream. He had a dream of the angels ascending and descending to heaven. He saw the glory of the Lord. And it was at that time that the Lord gave him a profound blessing. And what was really ironic was that this profound blessing came on the heels of some really, really horrific behavior on the part of Jacob. He revealed his true character, his character of being a, a deceiver, being a, a liar and a thief. And we asked the question, well, you know, why would God bestow this blessing? So we tried to unpack that. And in the end, we concluded, I think, that God is on a mission. He's on a mission to reveal his glory to every extent, every place on this earth, throughout the universe. He's intending to display, to share his glory. And he's calling a people to himself to participate in that mission. So we talked about that. And today we're going to read from a different part of uh, the scripture. And we're going to slightly change our focus. And we're going to be talking about identity and, and names a little bit. But we're going to take that first out of uh, the book of Genesis, uh, what we read this morning. I'm going to go ahead and read that again for us, uh, starting at verse 24. I'm reading out of the uh, New American Standard. Then Jacob was alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore to this day the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, 
which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. So the question I'll pose to us this morning, kind of like what we asked last week, you know, why would God bless a, a deceitful man such as Jacob? That was our question last week. This week we're going to ask the question, why does God give Jacob a new name? What's in a name? What's in a name? You know, my name is David. I think when my parents gave me the name David, it was just happened to be a popular name. In fact, it's still, I was just reading about it. It's, it seems like it's still fairly popular, but mostly, you know, in the later generation, older generations, not, not so much these days. But my name, if you look at it, it, it means beloved. I don't know if my parents thought about that when they named me. They said, well, this is my beloved. I, I doubt it. But they gave me that name. And so we all have names, and the names, usually in this day and time, are given to us because, like we said, somebody popular had that name, or it sounds really interesting nowadays, right? I mean, there's all kinds of creative names. But especially in the ancient Near East, a name, there were a couple things. One is giving someone a name. It suggested a type of ownership, that you have some ownership over this person or thing. But the other thing is that the names always came with some significance, When Jacob was born, if you recall, he was given the name Jacob because of something significant that happened in his birth. When he was being born, he was a twin. He happened to be holding his brother's heel. And so they named him Jacob, which meant on the heel or holding the heel. But as time went on, uh, there was another aspect of his name that came across because his name actually can have dual connotations, has dual meanings. Uh, The name can actually mean one that cheats or a deceiver. And that really lined up very well with the life of Jacob throughout his life, as we talked about last week. Cheated his brother out of his birthright. He uh, lied to his brother to come in, and so he can deceive his father on giving him the blessing uh, that was rightly owed to his brother Esau. So his life was actually coming to great alignment with his name. And so what we conclude from this is that names, especially in the ancient Near East, had a lot to do with identity. It has to do with identity, who I am at the core. And so we're going to examine a few things about this aspect of his name. And so I would argue that to answer the question, why did the Father, God, give Jacob the new name? It's because he wanted to give him a new identity. He wanted to give him his true identity. What can we say about about this as we examine the Scripture? The first thing I think we can say about his identity is that this new identity reveals that God will fight for him. The name Israel, as revealed to us in the Scriptures, is actually explained to us in the Scriptures that God himself gives Jacob this name Israel because he has striven with men and with God and he overcame. And there's kind of a past and a present perspective on that name. But there's also another, you know, again, with this dual meaning, there's another perspective on the name, which is prospective, which is futuristic thinking. And that is the name can also mean God fights. God fights. And that's really in keeping with the promise, right? If we go back to last week, we we read about the Lord in Jacob's dream coming down and giving him, once again, reminding him of the Abrahamic promise that he says, I will bless you. I will make a great nation out of you. I will return you to the land, and I will be with you. And so this naming, the Lord saying, now you are mine. I'm giving you this new name, and I will be with you. 
I will fight for you. I will defend you. So this was his people called by his name. And so the other thing that we um, can say is that Jacob's new identity came after years of discipline and refinement. I really look at this as an act of grace on the part of the Lord. The Lord could have given Jacob uh, his new name really any time, right? But he chose not to. He chose that he was going to give him this name after a really prolonged ordeal at the hands of his uncle Laban. He had spent now 20 years in Haran, in the land of his forefathers. He spent seven years to get his first wife, Leah. He spent seven more years to get the wife that he really wanted in Rachel. And then he spent about six years more to uh, get all this property. My conclusion is that the Lord, very graciously, was dealing with uh, Jacob's character. See, if he was going to give him a new name, he wanted him to take it for his own. He wanted for Jacob to take hold of this new name because the Lord was intending to build of him a nation. And so if Jacob did not own this new name, this new identity, then the Lord's plan would be jeopardized. And so the Lord waited these 20 years of confronting Jacob with the mirror image of his deceitfulness. So here was Jacob who had deceived his father, his brother, and was the cheat and the liar and so forth, and now he's being confronted head-on by the treachery of his uncle Laban. So the Lord was refining him. The Lord was preparing him. The Lord wanted him to get to a point to understand, that is not you. I want you now to know who you truly are. And the other thing we can say is that Jacob's new identity came in a moment of crisis. A moment of crisis. If you recall, 20 years prior, when he tricked his brother and his father and he received his his father's blessing, Esau was a bit upset. Esau threatened to kill him. His mom, Rachel, said, I've got to get you out of town, Jacob. you you got to scoot. Get out of here because your brother's hot on your heels. He's going to come get you. And so Jacob did. He obeyed his, his mom and he went off. And he went off for 20 years and he comes back. And now he knows he's getting word that his brother's not far. And he's terribly afraid, fearful for his life. And this is remarkable, right? In the, in the face of all these epiphanies and revelations, the Lord speaking to him, coming to him in dreams and all these things. And in fact, we'll talk about it probably in the weeks to come. But he, right at that moment, he saw the angels of the Lord were there. And yet he is still tremendously fearful. See, I think this was also an act of grace on the Lord's part. Because the Lord needed to bring him to a point of utter dependency on the Lord. See, Jacob was was a schemer. Jacob was a striver. He was the one that could be in control of the circumstances. As a matter of fact, we'll read about it in the next few weeks, but in this very situation, he, he had it all planned out. How he was going to save all his people, divide them up, divide his, his flocks and so forth. He was in control of the situation, except now. And the Lord was bringing him to a point of dependency, of recognizing that he just didn't have it in control any longer. And he had to. He had to. Otherwise, Jacob would not have taken hold of that identity. Again, I think it was an act of grace on our Lord's part. The other thing that our Lord, I think, graciously provided for Jacob 
A lot of us think of, wow, that was kind of hurt. The Lord hits him in the, in the thigh, dislocates his thigh, and he walks away limping. I think tradition suggests that, the, that Jacob continued to walk with that, that limp until, until he passed. See, the Lord, in his grace, knew how finicky we are as human beings. He gave him a new name, and he says, you shall not forget who you are. You shall not forget that I named you, that you are mine, that you have a purpose. I have given you a mission. I will build from you a great nation. Out of you will come the seed of the Messiah himself. And you cannot forget this. There's going to be trial and tribulation ahead of you, and you will have to remember. And so he gave him something that he will carry with him every day. Every day he's remembering He's walking in pain every day. He's remembering that moment of dependency, that long, tortuous road of refinement with Laban. And he's remembering that the Lord wrestled with him all night. He would never forget. And lastly, I will tell you that Jacob's new identity came from a new relationship from God. It was a changed relationship from what he had before. It was a break from his past and it was to demonstrate that it came from the love of God himself. If you remember, he says, give me a blessing. This was something out of desperation. He says, give me a blessing. And the Lord did, graciously, out of love, out of love for Jacob. And he gives him that blessing. And he's saying that this is something new. You will no longer be called Jacob. This is now a departure from your old life of living, your old identification. You identified with being a controlling person. You identified with being a, a schemer, a deceitful person. You identified with being really this, this rascally, smart, wise guy that can get by anything. No longer. You've got to understand that I am the one in control of the affairs of men. I am the sovereign God over all. You have to know who you are, Jacob. You are now Israel. I want to turn to draw out a, a scripture from New Testament that I think has a great, great parallel um, with what we read here uh, in Genesis. This comes from Romans 6. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. And I'm going to read from... Uh, Verse 3 to 11 and verse 14. He says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self, catch that, our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin." Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is a master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. 
Even so, catch this, even so, consider yourselves to be dead in sin. Some translations, I like the translation in the ESV, it says, reckon yourself to be dead in sin, but alive in God and Christ Jesus. And then in verse 14, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, the reason why I've drawn this scripture, as I said, I think it has a, a very uh, strong parallel to the study we're doing in, in uh, Genesis on the story of Jacob and his identity. Because this writing in Romans by Paul is all about identity. It is all about who we are in Christ and who we were before we were in Christ. So what this scripture is really highlighting is that there's really two fundamental places that we can drive our identity. The first one is under the authority of sin. And let me just stop there. Sin here is more than our sins, the things that we do wrong, you know, the things that we continue to struggle with. You know, we, you and I, you know, I, I think I must have sinned a dozen times already by the time I got here. But I am in Christ. And uh, so that's what this is talking about. So sin in this context is really talking about a, uh, a system. It's talking about an authority. It's talking about an authority that all of us who are not in Christ Jesus willingly submit under. Anybody who is willing to rebel against our Lord God and continue to hold our hand out to him, have, whether we acknowledge it or not, have brought ourselves under what Paul is referring to here as sin, the authority of sin. And when he says that you are no longer enslaved to sin, what he's really talking about is not that we don't struggle with sin. It's saying that we have moved under this authority, under the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, under the authority of grace. That's what he's saying. Okay, And so we got to understand that this is really speaking to who we are as Christians. Like Jacob, who was given a new name and given a new identity, we as followers of Jesus Christ who claim that he is our Savior and put our trust in him and trust in his substitutionary death and his resurrection, we go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are no longer under the authority of sin. We are under the authority of grace in Christ Jesus. And that is where you stand. That is where you and I stand. So it's not a question of our daily sins. We will all struggle about sin, and we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. We're going to talk about our flesh and why we still sin. We talked about what sanctification is a little bit this morning, that this is a gradual process. But there's a difference here, okay? I want you to take hold of that. But a few things we want to say further about this scripture is that like Jacob, our new identity in Christ Jesus also tells us that our Lord God will fight for us. He will fight for us. He has given us the great defender, the Holy Spirit, to defend us, to fight for us day by day of our lives. Just as the Lord said, I will not leave you, Jacob. I will not leave you, Israel. I will walk with you. I will go before you. I will defend you. I will protect you. He is saying the same thing to us in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. The other thing I will say is, while that is instantaneous, when we accept the Lord as our Lord and Savior, we move from the authority of sin to the authority of grace. I, th I venture to guess that some of you out there 
like me myself as well, have sometimes struggled with, is that really my identity? Is that really who I am? I sin a lot. I struggle with sin. I got this besetting sin. Is that really who I am? I think sometimes, like Jacob, you know, who had to venture out for 20, you know, tortuous years of, of refinement to come to really start to take a hold of us, his identity, I think the Lord also does that with us. You know, I think we, we conti- continue to work that out. We know it, but do we know it? And I think we continue to work that out as we walk out the, the life of a Christ follower. The other thing that I would offer you is that sometimes for us to take a hold of our identity, it does require us to come to a point of crisis. It does come to a crisis of faith to really understand when I am at the end of myself. So bless all of our trials and tribulations. If you are in Christ Jesus, the Lord says that he is using all good things for those who, who love him and are called according to his purpose. You are called according to his purposes. You are in Christ. So when you are confronted with, with crises and trials and tribulations, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But let's give thanks and trust that the Lord is working through that situation. He is forming your identity. He is trying to tell you that you are mine. I have named you. I have called you by name. You are mine. The fifth thing I want to offer you is that, as the Scripture says, that we must consider, we must reckon we must reckon that we are dead to our old self. This is a matter of consciously fighting against the, uh, the lies of the enemy. Obviously in the power of the Holy Spirit. But it does require us to come back to these truths. Anchor yourself in this truth of who you are. Because there will be days when we will have doubt. But if we come back to the scripture, I will reckon... That means that I will really set my mind. See, there's a participative aspect, that I'm participating with the Holy Spirit. I am going to set my mind on who I really am in Christ Jesus. And that is what we are called to do, that we now are under the reign, the new reign of our gracious God and our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. And the last thing I would say, tying in the Scripture, is that our identity now is bestowed upon us by the love of God in Christ Jesus. This new identity is only obtained because our Lord, it says, loved the world so much that he sent his only son. We read about how this is love, that while we were enemies of God, he died for us. So this new identity is only possible because of the love of God that he is bestowing upon you and I. And what that should mean to us when we take a hold of that, take a hold of our identity and take a hold of why we have that new identity, it's only because of the love that he has for us, then our struggles with validation, with our self-esteem, with our identity, it no longer relies upon what other people think about us. I mean, those are good things when they're positive encouragement. But I am not validated I don't get my identity through what other people say and think about me. So I go back to the one who loves perfectly. The one who made me for a purpose. We talked about this last week. He made us for a purpose. He's calling us to be his people because he wants you and I to participate with him, to go forth with him, to display his glory.
You are His. Hallelujah. So let's take us to that second question. Then what does this all mean about the rest? What does this mean for the rest? And the first thing is it does help us understand what is going on here. So we have knowledge now. And I offer to you that those around us that are without Christ do not really understand. They do not understand who they are and what they were created for. And I don't say this to present to us some kind of attitude of superiority or condescension to those around us. But I really what I'm asking that the Holy Spirit work on us is that He gives us His heart of compassion, His heart of mercy, the Father's heart of mercy, the Father's heart of compassion. So when we look around these people that don't know our Lord, we should have compassion and mercy instead of judgment and condemnation. We should be praying for them that they will come to know that the, all the answers, their true identity, their true validation, all the things they're seeking for in this world for validation and, and self-esteem and a name and identity does not come from all those things that are out there. They come from the one who created them. So let us pray for that, brothers and sisters. The other thing that we can draw from these scriptures and from this study is that I am loved by the Father. And since I am loved by the Father, therefore I am. Years ago, there was this guy by the name of uh, Rene Descartes. Uh, he was a French philosopher in the 1600s. And one of the things you may remember, well, one thing, if you're any mathematicians out there, you know, if you know Cartesian co coordinates, that was him. You know, he was a really bright guy. You know, X, Y, Z on a plot. Remember that? You don't? Okay. A point. Yeah. Draw a line. It's Cartesian coordinates. That was Descartes. The other thing he was, he was a philosopher, and the one thing uh, that he really struggled with, well, do we really exist? And the one thing that he, he wrestled with and he concluded, he says, well, I do exist because I think. And if I think, therefore I am. The problem I have with that, and I think a lot of people do, is I think it's very self-centric. It's a very self-absorbed kind of view of the world. That, well, everything's about me, and therefore I think, and therefore I am. It's all about me. There's this other philosopher, a 21st century philosopher, by the name of uh, James K.A. Smith. And he kind of turns Descartes on its head. He offers instead that human beings, first and foremost, being made in the image of a loving God, are in fact first and foremost lovers. We are identified, we are what we love. And a lot of us love the wrong things. But when we love the right thing, we are made complete. And so he turned Descartes on its head and he says, I love, therefore I am. And I would extend that, and I think uh, Smith would probably agree, I think his writings pretty much suggest it, is that I am loved by the Father, therefore I am. And so what we gain from this is we understand that, again, what this does is it, it, it sets us down on a rock of who we are so that when we go out in the world, we understand how to engage the world. We understand what people need. They, we understand that, that it's not because they think that, that that's who they are. You know, just because they've got great intellects, that's not who makes them. It's because they are loved by the one who made them. That's what makes them. And so those are the things we carry forth in these conversations. And that takes us to the last point. And that is when I go out into the world to love, I go out there to love the rest because I know who I am. And I have all these truths in my heart. And I pray and I pray that my, I will have the Father's heart of compassion and mercy 
but with this that I desire the Father's heart, which is for the rest, that they know him, that they come to love him, and that they know his love for them. So this be our prayer this week, brothers and sisters. Let this be our prayer.